and welcome to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and we're coming to you live today uh, from New York City. And uh, today we're just going to kind of get right to it. Uh, as you know, a lot of the shows that I do sort of focus on getting pain education out there and, and having letting people understand what pain is and where it comes from, and today's show is no different. Um, I'm very happy to have on the show a physical therapist, uh, um, Adrian Lowe, and I actually saw him speak at Combined Sections last year, and coincidentally, my sister was in his course last week, actually, the Explain Pain course last week. Um, so I'm very excited to have him on the show, and just a, a quick uh, rundown of of Adrian. He attended uh, the University of Stellenbosch in Cape Town, South Africa, where he graduated from an extensive physiotherapy program, including stringent manual therapy-based training. He is an adjunct faculty member at Rockhurst University in Kansas City, where he teaches spinal manipulative therapy. He maintains clinical practice and is a co-owner, part-time clinician, and spine specialist at the Ortho Spine and Pain Clinic in Story City, Iowa. And Adrian has been teaching postgraduate spinal manual therapy and pain science classes throughout the U.S. and internationally for over 15 years. He completed his graduate certificate in research methodology from the University of South Australia, followed by his master's degree in research into spinal surgery rehabilitation at his alma mater, Stellenbosch University. He is a certified spinal manual therapist through International Spine and Pain Institute and is in the final stages of his Ph.D., Focusing on therapeutic neuroscience education and spinal disorders, he has presented at several national and international manual therapy, pain science, and medical conferences, and has co-authored and authored numerous articles and book chapters related to spinal disorders and pain science. So, Adrian, thank you so much for taking the time out and coming on the show today. You're welcome. And we were saying, we were sort of joking before uh, the show that... um, you know, all that you're doing, I said, when obviously, like, you don't eat or sleep <laughs> or relax or, you know, I was like, I'm, sh- I, you know, because you, you're doing so much and then people are like, oh, but I love to relax and watch TV. And you're like, no, not doing all of that. No, so, not really. Yeah. See, that's good to hear. Okay. So, you know, like I said, on this show, I really love to talk a lot about pain and about neuroscience education, and this is one of your specialties. So let's just get right into it. And and this is a question that I get from a lot of people when I say, oh, you know, I'm sort of studying up on neuroscience education, and it's really quite simple, is what is it? So what is neuroscience education um, for pain? Karen, it's, it's a very complex name for something that's simple, and that is this we explain to people their pain. Um, from a biolo- biological perspective, um, they understand it better, and if they understand it better, they, they do better. And so why, so then here, the question is, why the need for neuroscience education, and why haven't, why aren't more people doing this? The easy answer is, for years, uh, we've taught people about anatomy, if you had back pain or neck pain, we taught you about anatomy, and mm-hmm. it doesn't work. Um, we have tons of randomized control trials, um, systematic reviews, and it doesn't, just doesn't work. And so um, it's simple. If people have pain, we teach them about pain. And um, our profession, unfortunately, is so indoctrinated in anatomy, biomechanics, mm-hmm. and physiology, I mean, for that matter, 
um, we've, we've missed it. <laughs> right. So it's it's just to kind of break that down. So if someone comes in and they say, "Oh, I have pain. I had an MRI, and the doctor said I have a, a you know the the slip disc or the bulging disc," so then we kind of show them what that means with that that. Uh, model of the spine with the big red swollen disc sticking out so this may not be the best way to explain the patient's pain not even close yeah we have shown it making people worse um that it's more fear more anxiety and and remember as you know and your audience know there's a lot of people that have this and doesn't hurt absolutely yeah yeah there's you can take 20 people off the street and give them an mri and some will inevitably have something wrong a herniated disc. Some money. Yeah, that, this is true. This is true. So, you know, let's uh, talk about the biomedical approach, which is what we were just saying, kind of showing someone that big, you know, swollen red disc or showing them their anatomy. Are there pros to that? Yeah, there is. I, I think in the acute phase for basic simple stuff, it's not a big deal. Uh, that walks in your clinic with an ankle sprain, mm-hmm. not a big deal. But the more pain lasts, get complex, uh, the more limited these models are. Right. So, you know, I guess it's very easy when someone has, like you said, that swollen ankle and they come in, they can look at it, they can see it's swollen. And then, you know, for the most part, that, that resolves. But it's those patients who come in and say, you know, I've had this pain for 10 years and it's never going to go away. And so bringing out that model and showing that big, you know, swollen red disc can actually make them worse. Absolutely. And, you know, so when you're talking about this neuroscience pain education, so we talked about why and what. And the next question is, and I think we're sort of leading into that, is who needs that education? That's a good question. Um, We are doing some research to find out who needs it. But anecdotally, it's a people that have persistent pain, mm-hmm. people that have a pain that are widespread, people that have had been, they've been everywhere, they have no help, mm-hmm. high levels of fear, catastrophization. Um, those are the primary people we're looking at doing this with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those people, it's sort of those people when they come in and they say, well, I've been to the chiropractor, the acupuncturist, I've been to this doctor, that doctor, the massage therapist, and now they're to you. Yes. And so in your interview with that patient, as you're getting to know that patient, might that be sort of a red flag or a yellow flag, however you want to call it? Absolutely. To kind of say to yourself, you know, this person needs a little bit more education. Yes, we we basically go through a checklist, mm-hmm. and uh, most of the studies show that central sensitization, mm-hmm. which comprises things including um, failed treatment, multiple practitioners, all of those, and as they as they meet criteria, they become more of a candidate for this approach. Mm-hmm. And you know, I have a question, and and this is something that someone asked me a couple of weeks ago: is how do you how do you diagnose, or how do you make that? decision that someone is has that central sensitization or they're centrally sensitized? Karen, there's no test for it. We yeah. No MRIs, blood work, etc. Right. The current criteria is a checklist. Mm-hmm. Um, there are very well recognized um, uh, symptoms that you have. Um, there's a paper by Keith Smart out of manual therapy that have identified these. Mm-hmm. And if you meet these criteria, you're it's more than a 500% chance that you well. have central sensitization. 
So it's, it's a checklist. It's not that complicated. And most clinicians probably know it intuitively anyway. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, I always, you know, I had a patient come in a couple of weeks ago, and, you know, she was sort of having persistent neck and arm pain, and she said, it just feels like my my arm or my hand doesn't even belong to me. Yes. You know, and that's something to me that sort of signals, okay, this might be a central sensitization, centrally sensitized patient. Yeah, a lot of patients with persistent pain have basically neglect. Mm-hmm. Similar to what we've described in stroke for years, but in complex states like complex regional pain, mm-hmm. um, you know, central sensitization, there is a, a thought of the body part doesn't belong to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that was sort of my big sort of like I said, okay, you know, this, this person needs a little more education. Um, okay, so... We got the what, we got the why, we got the who. How do we as clinicians, and again, this is, this is I think, a hard thing to do, but how do we as clinicians implement this pain science education in such a way that it is easily understandable and is efficient so that, you know, you're not spending, you know, five yeah. hours with a patient at one time, you know, but sure. sort of breaking it down. So how does that work clinically? How do you implement that? That's a great question. And um, there's many different ways. Number one is I think we make things too complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody expects this three or four hour one-on-one, take the plinth out of the room, we're going to sit around a round table. Uh-huh. That's not how it works. Uh-huh. Um, the most beneficial way to do it is via the other stuff you're doing, manual therapy, exercise, other movement stuff, we do it in between. And that's that's one way. The other way is um, education has to be paced. You uh-huh. cannot just give somebody a massive amount of information. That's like taking a drink from a fire hydrant. <laughs> um, and so we do little pieces. We identify things. And then as patients come, say, two times a week for four weeks, mm-hmm. we have eight messages we want to insert into their treatment plan while they're on the bike, the treadmill, Uh getting manual therapy. Um, Yeah. And how do you know, and and this is a question, I don't know if you do this at your clinic, but, you know, how do you judge whether that person has received the information? You Um, know, there's ways we can measure it. Um, We have pain questionnaires, Mm -hmm. but you see the behavior change. Mm -hmm. Um, You can see the patient is engaged by a as simple as coming back. Uh Um, They show up for appointments. They have lots of questions and and good questions, deep questions that they really want to know. You can see they're following through home programs. They're doing their homework. They're following up with the exercises. Mm -hmm. You see it right in front of you. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so. I guess, do you see, so when your patients come in, and, and the reason I have all these questions is, you know, because I get a lot of these questions from patients or from other clinicians, um, especially after I took the Explain Pain course. And a lot, what a lot of clinicians say is that it's so overwhelming. And how technical do you have to be? You know, because when you're talking, like you said, this neuroscience pain education, it's incredibly technical and a lot of which I don't quite understand yet. You know, I feel like I have an okay grasp on it. You have an infinitely better grasp on it than I have. So how can you, how do you take that? And I don't want to say dumb it down, but bring it down to sort of a layman's term. And I think that's, that's very challenging for a lot of people. I, I totally agree with it. Um, I think a lot of us think it's difficult, but it, it doesn't have to be. Um, a good example is 
Um, Karen, if you ask a patient a simple question, and that is, if you step in a rusted nail, do you want to know about it? I, I've never had a patient say no. Uh-huh. They all know, well, I need to know about it. Uh-huh. If they need to take it out, get a tetanus shot, and make sure I wear shoes around nails. Right. And so what has to happen is the message has to get to the brain. And so guess what? When you step in a nail, the nerves wake up around your foot. They send a message to your spinal cord, goes to your brain, and says, hey, there's a nail in my foot. That's it. it. It's as simple mm-hmm. as that. And patients get that. We have done this on, on young kids. We've done this on, on middle-aged patients, elderly patients, mm-hmm. inner cities. We've, I, we teach this stuff in Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, we just have to find a way to take complex stuff and make it easier to understandable so they understand it. And um, the problem is our education has always been a display of knowledge. Right. Let me show you what I know. Right. And, and we've got to get away from it without dumbing it down. This is still very complex. We, we get it, yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's that's very important that it what that comment you just made that, you know, it's a show of how much you know as sort of like, you know, you can sort of impress your patient by saying a lot of large words and and yeah. and things like that. And I think that's important. I never really thought about it that way. Um, so actually, we're going to take a quick break. We'll sort of break on that. And when we come back, um, I. I have a question. We'll sort of think on this, and then we'll talk about it after the break. But what happens when you say this to you? Give this patient their neuroscience pain education, and that patient says to you, "So you're saying it's all in my head." <laughs> so we'll sort of break on that, and we'll come back after the break. So everyone, stay tuned. Talking alternative radio, twenty-four hours a day. Are you stuck in your business or career? Trying to take your business to the next level and it keeps hitting a wall? This is Sam Lebowitz, the Conscious Consultant. I will help you get to the root cause of your abundance issues and help move you forward in your life. Call me now and let's create the future you dream of. 212-721-8183 That's 212-721-8183. The Conscious Consultant, helping conscious people be better business people. Are you concerned about the future of your business or career? Would you like it all to just be better? Well, the way to do that is through better communication. And the best way to do that is training from the team at Improving Communications. This is Larry Sharp, host of the Ivory Tower Radio Program and director at Improving Communications. Does your office need better leadership, customer service, sales, or maybe better writing or speaking skills? Could they be better at dealing with confrontation, conflicts, and touchy subjects? All are covered here at Improving Communications. If you're in the New York City area, stop by one of our public classes or get your human resources in touch with us. The website is improvingcommunications.com. That's improvingcommunications.com. Improve your professional environment. Be more effective. Be happier and make more money. Improving communications. That's the answer. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at talkingalternative.com.
Welcome back to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. As always, I'm your host, Karen Litzy, and I am joined today by physical therapist, educator, researcher, Adrian Lowe. So Adrian sort of gave you that question on the, the last uh, segment saying, you know, you explain this to the patient and the patient says to you, so you're saying it's all in my head. That happens all the time. Yeah. So what is <laughs> um, your response? Um, I think it's important for people to understand that pain is in their head but it's biologically there. It's in your brain, which is in your head, hopefully. Mm-hmm, hopefully, and, um, yeah. If you can get over this hurdle, you're, you're going to be well in your way. But the easy way to explain to people is, um, have they ever noticed blood on your body, but no injury, you don't remember it? Uh-huh. Um, you're out on those Saturday morning cutting the grass, and you come inside and notice there's blood on your leg. And that message got to the brain. Um, there was an injury, but it never got to the brain. There's, we have a saying, no brain, no pain. Mm-hmm. And the message has to go to the brain, so there are changes in the brain that's powerful. And if that happens, then, then we get this pain thing. But it is, it is, it is commonly, because this is part of that mind-body split. Your pain is either physical or it's psychological, and mm-hmm. we've got to get over that. that mm-hmm. is, that's two, three hundred years old. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's very true. And so then that leads to another question is... By us sort of giving this this pain science education to our patients, are we crossing over into being a psychologist? Oh, I get asked that all the time. Yeah. I, I'm, the easiest way to explain to therapists often is this. If somebody has a bad back and they bend halfway forward and they stop because they have pain, and the main reason is a stiff joint, then it's a physical therapist's job to help that. You mobilize or manipulate the spine, and they mm-hmm. do better. Mm-hmm. If they bend forward and they cannot move because muscles don't recruit well, transversus, multifidus, these fancy words we use now, uh-huh. they don't work, well, it's a physical therapist's job. Well, if somebody doesn't move because they're afraid, they're nervous, they're anxious, they, they, they believe they're, they're going to make their back worse, I, I think correct movement through cognitions is also physical therapy. Mm-hmm. And therapists do it anyway. I mean, if you have a patient walk in that is deathly afraid of therapy because they had a knee replacement, most therapists, not most, all therapists will sit and explain stuff to the patient, calm them down, gently move them, maybe move the other leg, show them other people moving. You're doing pain science, basically, neuroscience. Mm-hmm. So we do it anyway. But, but um, the belief that manual therapy or physical therapy stops at the OC1 joint is also not realistic. Right. right. Yeah, no, I, and, and I agree. And, you know, last week uh, on the show I was sort of talking about, you know, different qualities that the patient may have and that the therapist may, may embody and how to kind of use kind of what you have and pull up tips on what the patient has in order to speak to them, in order to get their story. So, you know, I feel like that is kind of maybe what a psychologist would also do, you know. So I think as a physical therapist, you sort of have to, you know, listen and work with your patient in a way that maybe a psychologist can so, so that, number one, that they'll trust you. Absolutely. And, and that, that they'll trust in what you say and in what you do. But see, Karen, I think the education is important, but it's done within a movement model Mm -hmm. while you're working physically on them. And patients like that. Mm -hmm. There are many research studies where they ask people, what do you want? And they want to be physically treated along with education. And, and I think we have an incredibly powerful position here. I have psychologists come to our courses all the time, mm-hmm. and they are envious. That they say, I cannot touch my client. You mm-hmm. can. I can touch them. I can mobilize them. I can show them exercise. I can correct posture. 
and explain pain to this patient. Right. Yeah, I think when I took explain pain before the eye fumped uh, up in Quebec City with David Butler, and there were some psychologists in, in that course as well, and David was saying that in Australia more and more psychologists are taking his course. Yes, in America too. Oh, that's good to know. Um, and so... You know, as physical therapists, and I think, you know, again, we're kind of on this question as to why are we the best people to sort of be the messenger of this information? Why, why doesn't the doctor tell the patient? Well, I think that there's a lot of obvious reasons. Number one is time. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Patrick Wall, the, the designer of the pain gate with Ron mm-hmm. Melzack, for many years has said physical therapy is the ideal profession to take on pain. And, and the reasons include we know a lot about biology. Mm-hmm. I mean, psychologists don't understand biology of pain. They understand the psychology and the social aspect better than we do. Mm-hmm. But we understand biology. We move people. Movement is essential for recovery. Um, there's a lot of us. I mean, Karen, there's 171,000, correct me if I'm wrong, physical therapists in America. Yeah, I think that's probably about right. Yeah. And if you put physical therapy assistants, our, our colleagues with us, there's sure. a quarter of a million of us. And there are 75 million people in America that have persistent pain. You need an army. Um, This is going to probably upset a lot of people, but we're cheap. In the big big scheme of medicine. Yeah, in the big picture of things, of course. It's much, and and if only, you know, insurance companies would think that as well, and and you know as a clinician owner that that's a whole other conversation. But, you know, that if you can send the patient to a physical therapist and maybe not have to pay for the MRI, not have to do the spinal injections, the spinal surgeries, you know, it's it's certainly a a better way to go. Well, Europe has embraced it. And um, David Butler, who has been my mentor for many years, Mm -hmm. told me that we're about 10 to 15 years behind Europe. Because the year we still inject, we cut, and, and I'm not against those. I work with those doctors every day. Sure. But a lot of patients can be treated very effectively with what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the future. Yeah. And now, here's a question. Have you ever um, had a patient who just is not getting this? Absolutely. And, and, every day. And what do you... Yeah, and, and how do you treat that patient? If, if that patient comes in and, and, and they say, yeah, 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 whatever, whatever, just do the ultrasound because that's the only thing that works for me. Um, there's a couple of things. First of all, these are adults, and they have choices. Mm-hmm. And um, I also can choose what I'm going to do with them. So if a patient doesn't want this program, I will still do this therapy. But I will probably go via movement, mobilization, ultrasound, exercise, mm-hmm. and in between start filtering some information in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe they get it. Maybe they don't. And that's fine. Right. Uh, they have choices. <laughs> right, right. So you can sort of pepper in that that sort of pain science education to where you feel that patient can, is comfortable with. Yeah, I think it can work. Um, we do it quite successfully. We don't bombard them with it. We give it to them, slow little pieces, and they either going to stay or they're going to leave. Yeah, that's true. Very true. And now let's talk about, so, you know, I think here we're talking about sort of talking to your patients about this sort of neuroscience. Do you also have more visual, uh, multimedia sort of stuff that you're giving to your patients as well to help them understand this? And if so, what kind of stuff? 
Yeah, Karen, the best research shows us you need to give people pictures, mm-hmm. drawings, and even the ability to draw and write. They have to be actively involved. Mm-hmm. I, uh, education is, is active, not passive. And so workbooks, logbooks, those kind of things are important. So I find myself drawing a lot for the patient. Uh-huh. Um, we give them um, black and white images that they color in, they draw in, so they're part of the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's been shown to be pretty, quite successful for these patients. Our research has shown workbooks work for these mm-hmm. patients. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, that's I kind of would like to get into a little bit about that now, since you brought it up. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit more about your research specifically. Um, so I know that you're doing uh, a lot of research on pain education for lumbar surgery patients. And if you can kind of tell us and tell the listeners why, you know, why was this so important? And how did you know that this is something that the clinicians and that the patients wanted, this, this education, sort of preoperatively? Sure. I think the first thing to start off with is the best way to treat chronic pain is to prevent it. Mm-hmm. And so we decided if we can take a group of people with a lot of pain, a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, and we could do something preemptively, can we calm them down enough so long term they have less pain, less disability? And surgery is an, is a, is an obvious choice. Mm-hmm. Um, in America right now, about 40% of people come out of surgery with the exact same pain and or disability. It, and, and you can look at all the studies out there. That's a lot of people. Yeah. And so we know that doctors don't send people post-operative mm-hmm. therapy. Um, we just published a paper on that to show about 50-50 of them send people to therapy following surgery. So post-op cannot help. Yeah. Pre-op doesn't really help because it focuses on procedural and anatomy, etc., and it doesn't really work. Right, that more sort of biomedical yes. approach. Yeah. And so we have shown that this kind of education makes a change in people's pain, fear, catastrophization, their movements, everything. Mm-hmm. So the logical thing was let's design a program like this, do it preoperatively, and then, then see if it makes a change postoperatively on people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and how, did you, how did you go about doing that? Was it questionnaires? Was it how did you know kind of what to include and, and, and you know, which populations? Yeah, we, we did several studies. First of all, we interviewed people that just went through surgery mm-hmm. and asked them, what do you want? Um, and many of them said they, they, the pre-op was good, but there wasn't enough information, and we teased it out. And a lot of them said they, they had no idea about pain. Will they have pain? Will they not have pain? Is pain normal after surgery? Those mm-hmm. kind of, that's one. Mm-hmm. There are studies about uh, surgery expectations. People have unrealistic expectations about surgery. They expect to walk post-operatively out with no pain. Right. Um, right. We did systematic reviews in orthopedics to see if people um, would, uh, if, if pre-operative help people in orthopedics, and it doesn't because, again, it's biomedical. Mm-hmm. And then we have a paper which is very controversial, which I'm excited to announce hasn't been published yet because everybody rejects it. Oh. And that is we did a systematic review on sham operations in orthopedics to right. sh- actually show how powerful the brain is. Right. And... Um, to date, it's just as effective. I mean, people come out after f- um, sham operations of the same pain to just show you how powerful that brain is. Right. And if we can enhance the brain preoperatively, it will help. So we, we've taken lots of studies. We, inter- we did a study where we interviewed the general population about their beliefs about surgery, mm-hmm. and a lot of them are afraid of surgery. So all these tell us people that they've got a negative view of surgery, mm-hmm. and if we can alter this with this new knowledge of how we see pain, 
Um, that that was the design behind it, and it's obviously summarizing three or four years of work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and it's it seems that people who have these sort of unrealistic expectations regarding surgery have poor outcomes. Yes. You know, because like you said, if you're going in and you're thinking surgery is your quick fix and you get out and, and you're not, because I get a lot of people who go for surgery and said, you know, I, I didn't really expect this to be painful. I thought I would be fine afterwards. It, it is a shock. I mean, we just interviewed a bunch of patients and um, right after they see the surgeons and many, many of them believe that the day they walk out of the operation, they'll be pain free. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, and I know, and as, as hopefully any normal person would know that that's not normal. Right. You have an incision, you had irritation of the nerve that long. And all we do with the neuroscience is we give people a realistic understanding that, you know, the tissues become sensitive, the nerves become sensitive, and they'll still be sensitive after the operation. Sure. And if they go basically saying, yep, I understand that the whole nervous system just calms down and they mm-hmm. they expect it. It's a normal expectation. Right, right. Yeah, and that makes perfect sense. And we're going to continue this. We have to take another quick commercial break, but we're going to continue this conversation because um, I have many more questions on this um, right after the break. So everybody stay tuned. You are listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Hi, I'm Dana. And I'm Don. We are Certified Mediators. And I am a family and couples licensed therapist and author of Please Don't Buy Me Ice Cream. Our show, New Beginnings, is about helping you and your family recover financially and emotionally and start the beginning of your life. We'll answer your questions on divorce, family court, co-parenting, personal development, new relationships, blending families, and more. Dana and I will bring you to a place of empowerment and belief that even though marriages may end, families are forever. Join us every Monday starting September 10th at 10 a.m. on TalkingAlternative.com. Are you suffering from aches and pains? Has traditional medicine let you down? Are you tired of taking toxic medications? Then come to the Double Diamond Wellness Center and learn how our natural methods can help you to heal. Call us now at 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. Or find us on the web at www.doublediamondwellness.com. We look forward to serving you. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Welcome back to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I am your host, Karen Litzy. I'm joined today by physical therapist, researcher, Adrian Lowe. So, Adrian, I had a question uh, during the break, actually, for you. So, 
you know, you're giving these patients this sort of neuroscience model of uh, pain education. And the question is, is if you tell the patient, you explain pain to them, and you explain that, yes, you're going to have pain, could that, in fact, cause more fear for the patient and increase their symptoms? I don't Do you know what so. I mean? Yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. Um, first of all, I, we haven't seen it in our research. Mm-hmm. We don't see it clinically. Uh, most people want to know about pain. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't understand pain, and the more we demystify it for them, because remember, we're putting it in a model where they understand it, they're less afraid of it. The pain means something different. So even though you've got pain, it doesn't mean injury. It doesn't mean disease. Mm-hmm. It means sensitivity of the nervous system. Mm-hmm. And, and so we, as, as, as we often say, we reconceptualize the pain for them. Mm-hmm. So even if you've got pain, you're willing to do more. And that's what the studies show. They'll do more therapy. They'll do more exercise. Because when they get pain, the brain doesn't go, oh, my gosh, I'm going to tear anything. Or right, I'm going to fall apart. I'm yeah, going to, goes, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm sensitive. My nerves have become a little more sensitive but I'm not going to hurt myself. And so the pain isn't a bad thing. Pain mm-hmm. is normal, mm-hmm. but living in pain is not, obviously. And so, right. so we have not found that people really go the other route, but, but it, it's obviously depending on how you deliver the message mm-hmm. to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and I think, you know, I, I had on the show Corey Zimney, yeah. who, who you know, um, and he said, you know, when he's explaining pain to his patients, we were talking more acute care, but it got into chronic and got into po- post-operatively, and he said he must say the word normal like 20 times, yes. 30 times, 40 times in one session, just so that, you know, the, the, the patient understands that what they're feeling is in fact normal, and that pain is not necessarily a bad thing in certain situations. Pain is normal. I mean, you cannot live in this world without pain. Right, right. Yeah, there was an an article in the New York Times Magazine a couple of weeks ago talking about um, a young girl who can't feel pain. Yes. Which is a very serious issue. You know, yeah, they do not do well. Yeah. No, 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 they do not do well. And, you know, when I try and explain pain to patients and if they're sort of saying, well, you know, I, what do you mean that the brain decides whether or not you're going to have pain? Like if you do x y like if you bruise yourself it's going to hurt and i always say like did you read the girl with the dragon tattoo <laughs> and you know the half brother can't feel pain yeah and so she like nail guns his foot to the ground i mean obviously there's tissue damage yet he doesn't have any pain yeah so that's why i try to explain like tissue damage doesn't equal pain and pain doesn't e- equal tissue damage exactly and and when i use that explanation people are like oh, okay now i get it Now I understand. So I think it's, you know, I think the challenge with explaining pain and to your patient is that it is not a cookie cutter. Every patient gets the same exact examples, you know, because like you said, you can describe it to a child, describe it to a middle aged person, describe it to an elderly person. But I would think that your script needs to change. Yeah, my pain is in your pain. Your mm-hmm. pain is in my pain. Mm-hmm. And that's one of our challenges we face. Um, the, the research shows us if I do education one-on-one with you, it helps you. But if we did it in a group setting, it doesn't work as well, mm-hmm. not, not even remotely, because people will sit there and say, that was a great presentation, loved it, was, it was upbeat, I enjoyed it. But let me ask you about my pain. Mm-hmm. And, and so pain has to be individualized to the person. And so it brings us back to therapy. You do a thorough subjective 
you gather information, then you apply that via the education to the patient situation. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, pain is very individualized, and um, you have to make it that in therapy. Uh, no, absolutely. And, you know, a another question is, I know that you said that you do have sort of a booklet that you give out to patients, and um, in that booklet, does it show the images of the surgery? The no, images of, you know, this is what we're going to take this bone out and we're no. going to put a cage around that. And, and if not, like, why? No, the images are provocative. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a study that we're getting ready to publish. We had people, as soon as they got done with the surgeon and saying you need surgery, we randomized into two groups, uh, sorry, three groups. One group looked at images on the Internet of spine surgery, and these are websites surgeons send people to. Mm -hmm. The booklets, the typical booklets surgeons give patients with the images, and then a neutral set of images. And both groups that looked at surgery images pre-surgery had significantly more stress, anxiety, fear, pain, all of those. So, so we don't. We try and do it without the images mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. the surgery. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and you know that makes perfect sense. And you know, over the break, I was just talking about sort of that input output cycle. Yes. You know that there's so many different inputs that can go into the system, including. You know, you have your proprioceptive input and your interoception and exteroception, and then your beliefs yes. and your thoughts, you know. And, and if this person's going in with the belief and the thought of, oh, my gosh, they're going to, like, crack my bone and they're going to do this. I mean, you know, of course you're going to increase fear and catastrophizing and fear avoidance and decrease movement and all that stuff. There are many provocative words, yeah. I mean, you go from incisions to cut to tear to... Yeah. I mean, it is extremely. We actually, one of the things we do with people we teach the program to is we have them go through a normal description of the surgery down on the internet, and they have to uh, to circle the, the provocative words. And it's amazing Interesting. the amount of words that people pick up. Right, right. And 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 knowing that that those become part of their pain experience. Yes. You know, those words become part. Their thoughts. You know, what is David Butler? Thoughts are impulses too. Yes, thoughts are nerve impulses. Yeah, so, you know, all of that is going to to feed into this person's experience. Now, I guess the, the question is, in the research that you're doing and, and the findings that you are finding, are they in the positive that this neuroscience education training works? Karen, uh, to, up to date... All the studies we've done with this, we did a case series of people. We measured them pre-post education. We did brain scan study. We did a multi-center randomized control trial. We did a financial or a healthcare cost utilization one. Mm -hmm. And all of them, our program is far superior. Now, it's a little early. We still have to look at all the data and statistically mm -hmm. significant in those. But on every parameter we're measuring, including their experience, how they see the surgery, their surgical experience, mm -hmm. they, they rate themselves significantly better those, than those that didn't get the program. And so we're trying to tell surgeons even, we're not trying to preempt surgery. We're trying to enhance surgery. Mm -hmm. They have mm -hmm. a better experience. And so um, a lot of this is, up, is, 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 is sent in for publication, but it works. Yeah. And and are you going to try and expand this model outside of lumbar surgery? Let's say the patients who need total hips, total knees, that sort of stuff. Yeah, that that is definitely something we're looking at. Um, we're doing right now, we're actually, we branched out to acute whiplash. And uh -huh. we're taking acute whiplash patients 48 hours post-whiplash. That's still a lot of fear and anxiety, and we're doing a preemptive neuroscience education of those patients mm -hmm. and then track them compared to those that don't get it. 
And so um, I think there's a, there's a significant place for acute surgical, orthopedically-based injury patients that we can do this. Ankle sprains, back pain, neck pain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yes. And, you know, getting back, I think it's interesting, like the whiplash pa- patients. What about those patients who, you know, they're, they're in the car accident, they had the fall, and yet their pain doesn't come out for 10 to 14 days? Yeah, there's a very complex biological process yeah. with latency of the nervous system, the dorsal right. root ganglion. I, I think a lot of it is, again, if you educate these patients so that when you, they get that flare, that latent period, mm-hmm. two weeks later that, that, that flare comes on, That's right. and the brain goes basically, well, I know what this is. This is no big deal. I know what it is. It's been explained to me. The whole nervous system will calm down. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the essence of the idea behind it, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, how about things like... You know, looking into, and I don't know if you sort of take this into consideration, so you do your pain, you know, you have the neuroscience education training, and for me, you know, I was a, had a lot of neck, chronic neck pain, and the thing that worked best for me was sort of focusing on my fear avoidance behaviors and trying to reverse some of those behaviors. Sure. So are these things that you sort of encourage in your patients? Absolutely. The education is only one part. Yeah. There's pacing, there's greater exposure, there is, there is still physical, biomedical stuff. We still look at tissues and joints, but on a much smaller scale and de-emphasizing them, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, and I think that's where a lot of physical therapists get kind of stuck is, you know, either I'm going to do the stretches, the exercise, the nips, the, the mobilizations, or, or I'm going to do only the pain, like... So if I'm doing only pain education with the patient, you know, does that negate everything that I've learned? No. You know, and I, th- and I, I kind of get that feeling from some therapists that, well, if this is, you know, how you're approaching the patient, then what about everything else? No, I think it, you have to do it in all of it. I mean, I teach spinal manipulation. Mm-hmm. I mean, the CSM, we're going to be doing manipulation. And I would love to sit as a patient and explain manipulation from a neuroscience perspective. Mm-hmm. I, I think we need a new language in our profession, a new yeah. vocabulary. Yeah. And, 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 and incorporate it during all the other stuff. My students do case studies where they get to write out a, a, a um, story about a bulging disc, but not use the word bulge, herniate, tear, ripped, rupture, mm-hmm. because it will make the patient worse. But they still convey the fact that something did happen, and we cannot sit too long, stand too long, drive too far. We got to let the tissues heal. Mm-hmm. But it's it's in a better language. We we format it better, and, and therapists need to understand it. It's not either or. It's it's while we do this other stuff. Right. It's 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 both. Yeah. You know, working together. And you know, we, I spoke a little bit last week about the the different language and and how to speak to your patients. And I was watching that Peter O'Sullivan. Uh, Peter O'Sullivan video online yes. when he was uh, interviewing the patient Jack, who was a young guy, back pain. The surgeon or the doctor said to him, you have a back of a 70-year-old. It's falling apart. So the guy didn't move. Yes. And this is a young man. He looked like he was no more than 35. And Peter O'Sullivan sort of changed. I mean, I, I, it was like very masterful, yes. yet very simple. To watch him interview this patient and have him do simple movements, they flash forward to a year later, and the guy is fine. Yes. And and that's what we're trying to say here, Karen, today. It doesn't have to be complex. Mm -hmm. It can be done while you're educating. You could be doing an examination on somebody, and the patient just slips out and say, doctor said I got the worst arthritis in the state of New York. 
Yeah, and you yeah. spend two minutes explaining a few things to them, they get it, they understand, and they go, oh, I'm going to be okay. It, it is almost as simple as that. We, yeah. We've made this complicated. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And, and I think, you know, to listen to people like you or Peter O'Sullivan or, you know, David Butler and Lorimer Mosley, and the way that you guys explain things is so easy, and yeah, so we're not, simple. Yeah, we're not that smart. <laughs> That's not true. Um, it's just so easy and, and, and so easy. Like I said, my sister was at the Explain Pain course in um, Maryland. Yes. What was it two weeks ago? Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. And she came out of that, you know, much better prepared. She's like, yeah, now I get it. Like, she had read the book, but to have it sort of explained physically by someone really helped us kind of sink it in a little bit. Well, it's the same thing, uh, Karen. People come on a weekend course and learn manipulation. Mm-hmm. And there's always this thing, well, you cannot learn manipulation in two days. And I agree. You, you get better by practicing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I teach you to do an upslope at C3-4 and you go back to the clinic on Monday, you're going to be pretty bad at it. Right. You pro- few people are going to leave your clinic probably sore anyway because your technique was terrible. Uh-huh. Well, you have to go practice. Right. That's what makes residencies and fellowships so good. So people need to learn and then go try it, go play with it, right. work through it, and, and get better at it. Yeah. Right. And sort of find, you know, whatever way that you explain pain to your patient is sort of your, is your way. Absolutely. You know, so it's not like I'm going to sit here and copy down everything you say no. and explain pain to the patient the way you would say it. You need to bring your own stories, your own life, and you mm-hmm. had surgery, I did not. Mm-hmm. You had this injury, I did not. Mm-hmm. So every therapist will create their own story because it's easy for me. I grew up in Africa, so for me to tell a story about a lion jumping in a room, right. freaking you out, makes sense to me. But I don't know about lions in New York, but yeah, I don't think no. there's any there. So. <laughs> no, 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 I don't think so, yeah, no. Yeah. So, And I think that's an important thing for people to understand. Um, listen, we're going to take a quick break. We have one more segment left after this commercial break, so everybody stay tuned. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in your business or career? Trying to take your business to the next level and it keeps hitting a wall? This is Sam Leibowitz, the Conscious Consultant. I will help you get to the root cause of your abundance issues and help move you forward in your life. Call me now and let's create the future you dream of. 212-721-8183 That's 212-721-8183. The Conscious Consultant, helping conscious people be better business people. Have you ever considered consulting a roadmap when you feel you need help getting to your destination? When the normal path seems blocked, a little help can come in handy when choosing an alternate route. Your natal chart is a map of your potentials. It addresses relationships, finance, business, health, and above all, creativity. Current planetary cycles can either support or challenge your objectives. I'm Montgomery Taylor. 
If you would like to explore the help of a private astrological reading, please contact me at Monty at MontyTaylor.com. That's Monty, M-O-N-T-Y, at MontyTaylor.com. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. Again, I'm your host, Karen Litzy, joined today by Adrian Lowe. He's a physical therapist, researcher, author, so on and so forth. So, Adrian, I think what was interesting before the break, you had said, you know, because you grew up in South Africa, you can use the example of a tiger or a lion jumping into the room. And we started, I started, started thinking about that. And, you know, if, if, the, if a lion were in a room with you, or, you know, sometimes you can, it can, you know, that saying, like, I was paralyzed by fear. Yes. And then you can take that to the person who has the whiplash, who has a low back pain. And we've all seen this person. Uh, they're literally paralyzed with fear yes. that if they move, it's going to be, they'll fall apart. They will, you know, be in so much pain. And yeah, I mean, there's, there's saying out there that the fear of pain is, Worse than pain is tale. And um, it's true. Yeah, and, and, you know, I think what, was, what you said earlier was that movement is so essential for recovery. Correct. So, you know, if by giving the patient this, the neuroscience pain education, and if that allows them for movement, even if it's very, does, they don't have to, like, touch their toes on the first day. Yes. You know, but, you know, I guess that's the point of this education. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. That's, we want them to move. Yeah. I, there's an enormous amount of evidence behind aerobic exercise, mm-hmm. movement, blood flow, circulation. But to get him to move is, is the barrier. Right. And the education will get him over the barrier. This is about moving two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, start somewhere. Right. And, and, you know, being able to tell the patient that, you know, if you move or do X, Y, and Z, like this this uh, example with Peter O'Sullivan, is you're not going to crumble. Exactly. You know, you won't be like a puddle on the floor. Or, you know, like, for instance, I had a lot of neck pain. And two years ago, I remember talking with David Butler, and, and he was asking me now in retrospect was sort of getting some of this information out of me. And I said, oh, he's like, do you exercise? I said, uh, you know, I, I just like, like to do the bike because I, like, I don't want to run because I, I think it might hurt my neck. Sure. And he said, really? <laughs> really? You think it's going to hurt? I'm like, I don't know. Now I don't if know. You run on your neck. Yeah. That's <laughs> and so he said, you know, go out and run for 10 minutes and come back and let me know what happened. Well, of course, lo and behold, I didn't have any pain. Sure. So, you know, for me, it was just a great way to start decreasing that fear avoidance. It's a belief. Yeah, it's a belief. Yeah. And, and the thing that I thought was very powerful at the end of the Peter O'Sullivan video, Peter O'Sullivan said, you know, what do you reckon were the biggest changes you made over the past year that you went from this person who couldn't sit for more than a half an hour to literally digging ditches? And it wasn't, he didn't say, I got more flexible, I got stronger. No. I increased my endurance. It was, I changed my mindset and I changed my beliefs. And exactly. that allowed me to do everything. 
Yeah, pain is based on what the brain believes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, you know, giving this, this neuroscience education properly can really affect those beliefs. And, and I think that's, you know, I've had different therapists sort of kind of challenge that and say, well, why wouldn't you just show the patient, like, this is where the disc is, and it's pushing on this nerve, and that's the pain? Because it makes them worse. Yeah. Yeah. Very, sim- very simply stated, it makes them worse. Yeah. Um, so before we go, we have a couple of minutes, but I'd like to know from you what other stuff, like what other research and things like that do you have coming up, that stuff that we can kind of look forward to, or stuff that you're, you know, excited about and working on? Sure. Um, we're doing a lot of stuff with the greater motor imagery. Mm. We're taking a lot of patients through um, graphesty, uh, sensory discrimination, mm-hmm. post-operatively to calm them down, to see if they can move better without moving them. Mm. Um, a lot of the sensitivity comes from the brain. And if we alter their sensation, how the brain feels the back, knows where the back is, they do better. Mm-hmm. And so we have a couple of those studies coming out. Um, an area we're very interested in is educating the public or the general population about pain. Yes, and, me too. Uh, we're, we're looking at going to schools, changing school kids' beliefs about pain. Uh-huh. And so we're, we've got a, several of those studies in the works right now. I am interested in that also. So I really yeah. look forward to that. Yeah, we've got to change how the, the whole population sees pain, not just a single patient at a time. Right. Because they're running out of money. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You know, I was just talking with another therapist here in, in New York City, and the, that's what we want to do is, you know, get a program together and have people come and, and start to change their attitudes towards pain. It will be an uphill battle, though. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, yeah. there's a very strong medical community I know. that is well-funded. There's legislation. There's, there's a lot of things that will have to change. Mm-hmm. Countries like Australia has done it very effectively, but they've had backings of their governments. Right. Um, there was a study by Rochelle Bachbinder, $8 million study that changed people's beliefs about back pain. Wow. They had TV commercials. They had billboards. Wow. They had newspapers. And it changed an enormous amount of people's views about back pain. Right. And so, we, you know, as I always jokingly tell people, what is the incentive of Pfizer to sponsor this study? Um, it, it just won't. It, 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 it's, it's, uh, <laughs> I can't think of anything. No. Yeah. And, and what about, um, quickly, if we can talk about any courses that you have or International uh, Spine and Pain have coming up. Uh, lectures, things like that, and, and 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 actually, where can people find more information about you? Sure, our website's the easiest. If they just Google International Spine and Pain Institute or ISPinstitute.com, all our information's there. My email is there, and we have a lot of our articles are loaded on the site mm-hmm. for people to read if they wanted to. It's already up there, and, and it's free. It's all free. Yeah. yeah, we have patient information on there that's free, so it's there as a service, and including our courses, obviously. Right. I wanted to do those. Right, right, right. Yeah, so um, again, I just want to thank you so much for sort of taking the time out and uh, of your day today and coming on, and I think this was very informative. So um, thank you for, for coming on. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. All right, and on that note, um, I want to thank everyone for tuning in today, and next week will be the last episode of the year, and I'll have on uh, Lori Field. She's a... Uh, social worker, and we're going to sort of talk about how to take what happened to you this year and kind of synthesize that and move it into next year, into the new year. So, Adrian, again, thank you for coming on. 
And uh, everyone out there, thank you for listening and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. Bye. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Hi, I'm Dana. And I'm Don. We are certified certified mediators. mediators. And I am a family and couples licensed therapist and author of Please Don't Buy Me Ice Cream. Our show, New Beginnings, is about helping you and your family recover financially and emotionally and start the beginning of your life. We'll answer your questions on divorce, family court, co-parenting, personal development, new relationships, blending families, and more. Dana and I will bring you to a place of empowerment and belief that even though marriages may end, families are forever. Join us every Monday starting September 10th at 10 a.m. on TalkingAlternative.com. Are you suffering from aches and pains? Has traditional medicine let you down? Are you tired of taking toxic medications? Then come to the Double Diamond Wellness Center and learn how our natural methods can help you to heal. Call us now at 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. Or find us on the web at www.doublediamondwellness.com. We look forward to serving you. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. This is Tony Martinetti, the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Technology, fundraising, compliance, social media. Small and medium nonprofits have needs in all these areas. My guests are expert in all these areas and more. Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern, on Talking Alternative Broadcasting. Are you fed up with talking points rhetoric? Everywhere you turn, it's left or right spin, ideology, no reality. In fact, it's ideology over intellect. No more. It's time for the truth. Join me, Larry Sharp, a.k.a. The Neo Sage, Tuesday nights, 9 to 11 Eastern, for the Ivory Tower Radio Program. In the Ivory Tower, we'll discuss what's important to you, society, politics, business, and family. It's provocative talk for the realist and the skeptic who want to know what's really going on, what does it mean, and what can be done about it. So gain special access to the Ivory Tower and listen to me, Larry Sharp, your Neosage, Tuesday nights, 9 to 11, New York time. Go to ivorytowerradio.com for details. That's ivorytowerradio.com. The Ivory Tower is a great place to visit for both entertainment and education. Listen in, Tuesday nights, 9 to 11. It will make you smarter. TalkingAlternative.com